Welcome to the Cumberland River Compact's River Talks podcast. By listening, you are becoming a part of our River Talks community. We're so excited to have you. River Talks are recorded live in Nashville, Tennessee at the Cumberland River Compact's River Center. Tennessee is home to world-class whiskey, wine, beer, and other fine spirits. The craft spirit producer's connection to people, land, and resources is a relationship in which sustainability plays a vital role. Tennessee's Sustainable Spirits is a voluntary recognition and technical assistance program administered by the Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation, which seeks to reduce operational costs and environmental impacts for wineries and wine growers, breweries and distilleries, as well as serve as a gateway to sustainability education through popular brands. In today's talk, we get a glimpse into the world of sustainable spirits at Jackalope Brewery and with representatives of Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation. All right, welcome to Jackalope. Um, I'm, I'm Steve Wright and uh, one of the owners and president of Jackalope. Uh, for the first uh, four years, uh, the Jackalope was open. We opened in 2011. Uh, I also uh, was, was a brewer, um, uh, focused mostly now on, on our operations and logistics. And um, you know, prior to August of uh, 2018, and getting this place open, um, it was a long time coming to, to get this facility open. And uh, we're, we're super proud of, 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 of what we've kind of accomplished in terms of um, just getting the manufacturing facility like this together, but also doing it in a way uh, where we're lessening our environmental impact. Um, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, some of the initiatives that we're doing. But in doing so, I really kind of want to tell the story of how we got here. Um, and um, you know, it's funny. It all kind of led to a conversation that Bailey had with Mark, uh, who will be talking later about the Ten Tennessee Sustainable Spirits Program, um, about how um, you know about what we could do more, what more we could do. Um, and uh, uh, we, we've always kind of strived to, to do what is uh, logical, um, do what, uh, what we can to, to uh, lessen our impact. Um, and you know, our brewery started, uh, if you've ever been, uh, if you don't know anything about Jackal, we started actually in another location over on 8th Avenue. Uh, and uh, it, we started in 2011 and had a, a small 15-barrel brew house uh, with four 15-barrel fermenters and three 15-barrel bright tanks. Um, just to give some perspective, these ones out here are 120 barrels. Uh, so they were really small. And um, you know, when starting a business, um, you know, there's no playbook. There's no real answers uh, that are all there for you. They kind of come at you. Um, and, and, and you come up with solutions. And, and one thing that Bailey um, was always very, very adamant about um, was that we were gonna, we were gonna do whatever we, we were gonna, wherever we could um, do something that would help the environment, we were going to do it. Um, and you know, I still remember early on having conversation about the toilets that we were gonna use in the, in the bathrooms over at the den and we wanted to, Use, you know, we're going to use the ones that saved a little bit more water. We're going to use uh, the ones that, that, that were cheaper and, and didn't. And when we chose the ones that saved water and could, took that kind of long-term perspective, well, if we save enough water, then, then they'll, they'll pay for each other. And little things like that, even in the, in the starting of the brewery, kind of were at front of mind. Um, and, um, you know, but then, then, then things of actually running the business kind of come up. And, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with kind of how uh, how, to, how to brew beer. Um, some of the general things, when you brew beer, uh, you take a lot of grain, uh, malted barley, uh, you mix it with water, 
and, and, and what you're doing is you're, you're extracting the sugars out of that grain. You're getting uh, all the sugars out, um, and that's really important because later on in the process, those sugars turn into alcohol. Um, and, and you take the liquid that's left over after, after mixing the water and the, and, and the barley, um, and you move it over and you add hops to it. And this is a really simplified way of describing how to make oh. beer, by the way. <laughs> um, and, and, and you mix it, right? You mix it with, uh, you know, you put some hops in. You put some hops in. The beginning, hops will go in the beginning. The boil will give the, the uh, uh, flavor and uh, the bitterness. And the hops more towards the end give the aroma. And then you ferment it. Um, you're left after that beginning process with a whole bunch of grain. You know, one solution, one thing that we had to come up where do you, where does all that grain go? Um, you know, does it go to a landfill? Um, some breweries do send it to a landfill. Um, just dump it, just get rid of it as, as, as possible. Um, we wanted to find some farmers that could use it for feed. Um, and it was a really symbiotic relationship. We needed, we needed to get rid of our grain, and uh, they needed feed. And so we, we reached out to farmers, uh, had some reliable farmers who could come regularly, and, and they'd pick up the grain, feed it to their animals, and we would have the grain out of our facility, which was really huge because if you've ever been in a brewery and it smells bad, it's usually because that grain has sat in that facility for too long. Uh, so we want it out, and it's been, you know, we have been partnering with local farmers ever since. Um, I think we had like 200 and, we calculated, 222,000 pounds of grain uh, last year out of this facility that, um, that we gave to farmers to use for feed. Um, so, you know, something that was like really logical. We had a problem, we wanted to come up with that solution. Um, you know, one of the things, uh, for you, some of you who were on the, the tour today, one of, one of the things uh, that, that came, you know, when Bailey and I used to brew together all the time back at, at the original location, um, uh, one of the, the problems that we often saw, we saw um, CO2 um, that was being wasted, CO2 that was just going out into our atmosphere and, you know, hurting, hurting the ozone layer. And, um, and, and that CO2 is coming from our, our, our fermentation. You know, I mentioned that we create sugars during the brewing process. Well, those sugars go into the fermenter. We pitch yeast into the fermenter, and the yeast turns those sugars into alcohol, and the byproduct is CO2. Um, you know, after I'm done talking, take a peek out the window. You'll see some, some fermenting tanks, um, and, and you'll see some hose coming from the ceiling. And, and that hose coming from the ceiling is hose that is capturing some of the CO2. Uh, when we opened this facility, you know, Bailey and I would talk, we'd say, how, how do we capture the CO2 that we're creating, not let it go into the atmosphere, and actually use that CO2? Um, and so when we opened this facility, we, we, we partnered with, uh, with a company uh, that actually helped us recapture some of that CO2, uh, compress the CO2, and reuse it back in our process. You know, anybody who's brewed before knows it. it's like when you, when you brew, the CO2 goes out into the environment, and then you buy more CO2 to carbonate your beer. It doesn't actually make any sense that you're creating something, letting go into the environment, and then buying that same thing just to carbonate your beer. So for us, being able to kind of reuse that um, is, is something very unique about Jackalope. I think we're one of just a handful of breweries our size who are actually using that technology. Um, and something we're super proud of. And it all came from an original problem that we had, or not a, not a problem, but something we just kind of talked about on the side where it's like, how can we fix this? This is just illogical that this works that way. And, and for us, um, you know, some of those little conversations that Bailey and I had, I think, at the den while we were brewing early on, 
really helped kind of um, you know, guide us as we grew as a company. Um, when we first started, I think there was, well, there was three of us. There was uh, Bailey and, my, and, and our other business partner, Robin, and um, you know, there was the three of us. We would make the beer, we would work the tap room. Well, now I think we have over 32 uh, employees. And um, as we grew, some of the conversations that we had kind of grew, into, it grew Jackalope into a company that, that cared about how we took care of things, um, how we took care of our, you know, each other, but also how we took care of the environment. Uh, Kristen, um, who is our marketing director and also uh, community relations, uh, she has really taken our sustainability to another level. Um, anything that we have here, um, you know, you'll see, um, you know, we have our recycling, our compost, our, our, um, and, and our waste. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're doing everything we can to make sure that everything finds a home we've, uh, and goes to where it should. Um, we've, we've done uh, some training with the Turner Green folks um, and, and, and made sure that we're educated to know how we can take care of our cardboard, get rid of our plastics, and where everything goes, what can be composted, what can't be composted. Um, and it's really kind of become a part of who we are as a company. And that's something that we're really, really proud of. And as we kind of grow, um, for me, as somebody who's been there from the beginning, it's been really awesome to see some of those original conversations just become reality. And, and, and for our, our folks, our awesome team members here at Jackalope to kind of be, be living those exact same values. Um, and, and that, to me, is, is what you know, the sustainability is really about, um, uh, is, is just kind of bringing it back and, um, you know, it's the, the social aspect, I guess, of, of, of sustainability where, um, you know, we, we all need to be doing our part. Um, so um, I mentioned the conversation that Bailey had with, with Mark um, a couple of years ago at a, at a craft brewers conference, which is the best conference that you could ever go to because it's a conference where you get to drink a lot of beer um, and have conversations about sustainability too. But uh, it's an awesome conference um, and you know, all the craft brewers from around the country will go um, and, and meet and talk, talk shop and try each other's beers. But uh, um, you know, one, of, one of the things that we were kind of seeking out at that conference was uh, this CO2 recapture system. Um, and it happened that there was going to be a seminar on it um, that Mark actually, I believe, told Bailey about. Um, you know, uh, but uh, Mark and Bailey met out there, and, and, and Mark told Bailey about the Tennessee Sustainable, Sustainable Spirits Program. And uh, uh, that conversation led to us being one of the um, original members of, of the Tennessee Sustainable Spirits Program. And what we've got in return has been fantastic. Um, our, our den location is actually certified in that you know, Mark helped and, the, and his team helped provide us with a checklist of, of things that we could do um, to, to just little things that we could kind of do to up our game in terms of you know, maybe the lighting or, or, or water reusage or um, you know, a handful of things that we could better ourselves, little things, and also armed us with a lot of knowledge. Um, you know, one of the things, it, it's funny, a lot of the stuff that we got there, we actually used when we were kind of opening this, like the lighting. Um, you know, we made sure that we had the right lights because it's amazing just how much the LED lights can, can save, save energy. So we made sure that we swapped out all of our lights over here. Um, but anyway, we, we, 
we went through that and kind of just having that, that little bit more of guidance to know that the little things that we were kind of offhandedly doing anyway that were in our culture, um, that we could even take it a step further and, and have a little bit more structure behind it. And that's what the Tennessee Sustainable Spirits Program really helped us with. And uh, you know, we're so proud to be an original member and um, we will be getting this one certified for sure as well, this location. What's really funny, there's solar panels on the roof here. We're, we're way more equipped over here and doing a lot more over here um, than we were doing at their original location just because we were able to plan a little bit better. Um, so it shouldn't be hard, I don't think, to get it certified, but, um, but we will be going through that process here shortly. Um, but um, that's a little bit about Jackalope, um, you know, where we are. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, some of the other initiatives that we're doing, you know, we um, reducing our, our, uh, our grain bags by having, getting a silo when we're over here. We made sure we don't have as many packaged things that we are doing, um, you know, packaged bags. I don't know if you've ever seen grain come. It comes in tons and tons of bags. So having a silo, we just have, looks like an oil tanker. We put the grain right into the, right into the silo and we use it directly from there. Um, one of the things that's super important about Jacklet, we're super proud, we, we've always, cans, uh, we've always wanted our beer in cans, our beer is in cans. Uh, the reason we want that is, um, for many reasons, cans are better for the environment. The aluminum can be recycled continuously, uh, whereas the glass cannot. Um, and, you know, if you're shipping cans, you can ship a lot more cans in the same amount of space as bottles. They just are, um, you know, easier to ship in that, in that way. Um, and, uh, you know, the non-environmental side of it is you can put really cool artwork on cans. <laughs> we like that. Um, yeah, and, yeah. But um, those are just, you know, a few of the things that we're doing. Um, I know a lot of you were on the tour with Bailey and Sarah this afternoon. I'm sure they told you um, about some of the others. So what's really cool, if you look out here, there's two big tanks here. Uh, one's, you know, there's more than two. Um, but on, on the far side, there's two that are kind of on this half of the brewery. Uh, those are the hot and cold liquor tank is what we call them. And what is great about those is that they feed each other. So we'll fill up one tank. Uh, we'll fill up the hot liquor tank. Um, I'm sorry, we'll, we'll fill up the hot liquor tank. We'll brew the beer. Um, you know, we'll use the hot water. We'll mix it with the grain. It goes through the process. At the very end of the process, um, we do what we call a knockout, where the beer has to be brought down to a temperature that the, the yeast can ferment at, uh, the, the sugars at. And typically for an ale, that will happen around 70 degrees. Well, you've boiled the beer, and you need to bring that temperature down really quickly because um, and until the yeast is in there and until the yeast is converting all that sugars to alcohol, you know, that beer can become contaminated, and that makes for no good beer. And, we don't want that. So anyway, uh, we have to knock that temperature out fast. How we do it is with the water from the cold liquor tank. And so the cold liquor tank goes through the heat exchanger going one way, the beer is going the other way, the temperature is coming out of the beer, the heat is going into the water, and that cold water goes back into the hot liquor tank and we use it in the next brew. <laughs> um, and so none of that water goes down the drain and we're just able to continually reuse it um, and, you know, brew after brew after brew. Um, so very, very little water that we use will ever go down the drain. 
one of the things with the CO2 compressor that I meant, the CO2 recapture system, that's a great example of the economic you know, side of things where it's where economic meets environmentally uh, responsible because uh, that, that machine will in three years pay for itself just by the amount of CO2 it provides us. Um, so, you know, in, in, that, in that sense, you know, for us on the finance side, it's, it, it, you know, is, is saving us money. Well, thanks for sharing the Jackal perspective. Yeah. We're going to turn it over to Mark, who's going to kind of share a little bit of the program as a whole. So, thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you, Steve. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, Thank you, Cumberland River Combat, for letting us talk. I love talking about just spirits in general. And the other part is the environment. So it's like the blending of my most two favorite things in the world. So uh, thank you for that. <laughs> Any chance I get, I'll take it. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm Mark. I work with the Tennessee Department of Environment Conservation, Office of Policy and Sustainable Practices. So we oversee the Tennessee Sustainable Spirits Program. One thing I forgot, though, one housekeeping item that we should probably address first is if you guys could finish your beers right now so it's a little bit easier for me to talk and you guys may be a little more forgiving in case I mess up. Uh, so you guys can do that right now. I'm just kidding. So um, this is just a little uh, mission statement over at Tennessee Department of Environment Conservation that may be changing. So you can study up on it right now. It may change into the future, but uh, that's us for now. Um, the Office of Policy and Sustainable Practices is a uh, part of Department of Environment Conservation. So it's broke down into uh, several categories. This is a little bit older version of it. But we have two main segments, which is the Bureau of Environment. And then we have the Bureau of Parks and Conservation. So parks and conservation is our natural areas, our state park system. Uh, Bureau of Environment is more of the regulatory side. So Office of Policy and Sustainable Practices kind of sit like right there. We don't really have our own little section. but. We're one of the very few uh, non-regulated uh, offices within TDEC. Uh, so you know we have 56 state parks, 86, 85 natural areas. Um, it's usually growing, so this may change in the future. Um, some more information over on the Bureau of Environment. What we do, like I said, we're mainly it's the regulated side. We do some grants. Uh, we uh, oversee some grants as well. So this is the Office of Policy and Sustainable Practices. That's our whole group right there. We are, not, like I said, non-regulated uh, organization within TDEC. So our main purpose is to improve sustainability throughout the state. So whether you're uh, a private organization, a nonprofit, a school, uh, anything, a private citizen, what we're just trying to do is you know, improve the environment without telling you what to do, being that we're a non-regulated portion of it. Uh, these are a lot of the programs that we see, so I could just point out some of the things that we are doing within. So we do a lot of policy. Um, I'm not a policy guy, so please don't ask me on that. Like, that is not my thing. Um, we do the NEPA review for the state. Uh, we oversee several grants. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later on. Some of the other things, we do a lot of uh, environmental education, whether it's uh, higher education or K through 12. We have a Get Food Smart program, which is uh, covering you know, reducing food waste in the state. Governor's Environmental Stewardship Awards, you know, the governor gives out awards for people doing good things for the environment in the state. A lot of these are, all of these are here is non-regulated and it's just a way to improve sustainability throughout the state. Um, we're broke down to three different teams. We have the business team, the community team, and the state government institution. So the business side is where we're working with mainly 
business organizations, uh, private, private organizations. Community side, that's where we're doing a lot of our education, um, a lot of the stuff within the communities to improve uh, sustainability. So we have our radon outreach, teaching people about radon. Uh, unwanted household pharmaceuticals. So we've got a pharmaceutical take back bin in almost every, you know, every county in Tennessee. So if you have unused, unwanted pharmaceuticals, you can always take it to a safe place where it'll get destroyed properly. Um, to Tire Environmental Act program, so that is where we actually give grants to improve. Um, you know, we're creating a market for used tires, so it's not going to the landfill. So we fund opportunities for um, mainly uh, developing new products, new markets out of tires, and research and development. And the state institution side, that's where we do a lot of the internal stuff. So we're working with other t state organizations on improving, you know, whether it's their recycling program, whether they have some questions in regard to, you know, improving sustainable practices in their offices. So, you know, I, I can cover, you know, the pillars of sustainability, but I think you all are pretty aware of, you know, the environmental, economic, and social impact. So we, we, we think about that triple bottom line in anything we do. So the business team is where Tennessee Sustainable Spirits is housed. The, a lot of the programs, like I said, is for private organizations that have to get food smart. Tennessee Sustainable Spirits was actually developed from the Tennessee Green Star Partnership, which is a membership program for large uh, manufacturing facilities like your GM, Nissan, Bridgestones, all those facilities that are producing, you know, they're large producers. So it, our first step was, you know, to, to have some kind of impact on these large producers on the non-regulated side to help them improve their practices. Then we started trying to look downward and, and seeing where we can reach out next to some of the smaller facilities. And what we found was this unique market in the spirits producing side, because you know, we're, we're, we're known for Tennessee you know, whiskey. We have a lot of breweries and uh, wineries as well. So that was the next market where it's pretty uniform across the board, where we can develop a, a membership program and improve their sustainable practices. So that's kind of what, what was created from some of our other programs. So this is a quick little statement on uh, Tennessee Sustainable Spirits is a voluntary program that assists wineries and wine growers, breweries, and distilleries in increasing sustainability by promoting best practices, providing technical assistance, and developing relationships. So our main goal is, you know, keep doing what you're doing, but you know, we can we can work together, you know, to improve what you can do on the sustainability side. So, uh, like Steve said, not only are you improving you know, being a better steward to our environment, but you're also, you know, you're gonna reduce your overhead costs with a lot of these improvements you do at your facility. Um, so the benefit to the members, that we wanted to make sure we created this program for the members. This is their program. They can help us shape it in any way they want, but we wanna make sure that it's something that they see and they see the benefit of being a member too. So what we determine, you know, is they want the unique branding, so we created this custom logo. All members will have this logo, so you can look for it in their facility. They, they're free to use it in any way they want. Uh, we give them window clings, so you can see it in front of their business when you first walk through their door. Um, we have some uh, organizations that are looking to actually put this on their, their products, so put it on their labels. Um, we have a web page uh, unique for them. It details a lot of things that you know any facility can do to improve their sustainability. Um, we're actually working on building out um, some more information for home brewers because we have a lot of home brewers in this state. So we're not only just touching, you know, the business side of it, but anyone who's interested in getting into this, this, this program, this uh, hobby, maybe turning it into a business in the future. Because if we could catch them early, like Steve said, you know, they weren't doing 
as much as they're doing here, but you know, since they were a member at the other facility, when they came out here, they already had that mindset and they had a lot of the recommendations we provided them implemented here. Um, we're gonna work on doing some articles on each of one of our members to promote them outwardly, showing all the great things each facility is doing in the membership. We do provide them free technical assistance, so when we do go through their facility, we will list recommendations, and if they're interested in any of those recommendations, we can give them further in-depth, uh, detailed uh, technical assistance on that if they're wanting to implement a particular recommendation. Um, we're also partnering with some other uh, nonprofits and MTSU fermentation science program to even to further uh, develop more technical assistant opportunities for uh, the members. Uh, so every year we'll have a new membership recognition event. So last July we had the launch of the program, and at that same time the four pilot members, you know, they got, you know, their their certificate. They were certified. You know, we did a big press release. Uh, showing everybody like, you know, what they're doing. And, and so we're gonna do that every year for every new member so they can get that, some of that additional, you know, marketing for it. Um, so like I said, we always have online resources for them. We're always building that out and adding more to it. So if you guys have any unique uh, ideas, let us know. I mean, we wanna build this out and we wanna provide them as much information and the public. So this is a public facing website so anyone could benefit from it as well. This is just some additional uh, recognition. So this is that window cleaning I was telling you about. Um, unique, like I said, we do the uh, tire program. So these uh, coasters are actually made from recycled tires with our logo on it. And then we have these bottle hangers which actually sit on the neck of like a beer bottle, a whiskey bottle, showing that you know, they're a sustainable spirit member and it's actually printed on seed paper. So whenever the user's done with it, because what we're trying to do is you know, let them know that they're a member. There's actually gonna be the web page on the bottom so they can go to the website. But when they're done with it, they can actually plant in there's wildflower seed mixed into that paper as well. Um, so to become a member, um, there's several categories that they have to go through. Um, trying to touch on every base we can on the sustainability side. So it covers water, uh, you know, reducing air water pollution, uh, waste reduction and expanded community involvement. So they got to be able to, you know, be working within the community they, they are in to help improve the community as a whole. Um, the process to become a member, they submit a very simple application with just basic information on the facility. Um, they have to submit a checklist. So the checklist has, is broken down to those previous categories of air, water, waste, community. There's 49 criteria in there. Um, they have to meet a minimum of 25 of those criteria. Uh, so they'll submit that application with that checklist. We will do an internal check on TDEC to make sure whatever facility is applying is in compliance with any TDEC regulations. So if they're out of compliance, they can't be a member right then, but we will work with them. We will make sure we can get them into compliance if they're really interested in becoming a member. Um, so that's the, so then after that, once we see that they're checked out and they're in good standing order, we'll actually schedule to go do an on-site visit of their facility We'll go through the checklist that they submitted just to see, you know, verify what they're doing is right, or if we identify some additional things they're doing that they didn't check off, and it gives us an opportunity to actually walk through the facility and identify where we can list additional recommendations for improvement. Um, once we do that on-site visit, we'll come back, you know, we'll analyze all the data they submitted because they actually have to submit their utility, like I forgot that right there, they have to submit their utility and production data. So we'll create a ratio, you know, of the, you know, takes three gallons of water to produce one gallon of beer. So we'll compare their water usage versus their production for a year total. We'll do the same with their energy. So if they're using gas or electricity, 
and we'll show them. We'll create a, a ratio to normalize that data so if they ever expand, they can still base it off a ratio. This establishes a baseline for them, and if they want to make a goal to reduce that ratio, we can help them get there. And in addition to that, there's data available to show them where they compare nationally and internationally to other producers throughout the world. Um, so once we submit, once we go through their facility, we do all that, we will actually submit that, we will give them a sustainability report detailing you know, the, the ratios, so the water use ratio, energy use ratio, list the recommendations, show them where like, you know, they didn't do this check, but if they do this simple practice, you know, they can add another check to it. There's also additional recommendations that may not be in the checklist, but it'll help them overall. And with those detailed recommendations, um, if any of the producers are interested in, in actually taking action on any of those recommendations, they can reach out to us and we can provide them additional technical assistance on how they can do that. And then once we go through all that, they get that report and they'll actually have an acceptance letter. And then that's when we will have, you know, after all of that, for the end of the year, we will have, you know, the uh, certification ceremony for all the new members. So this is the checklist. It's really small, but it just shows, you know, we have water, air, waste. Uh, some of the bold ones, these are uh, required, so they have to do it. It's, it's trying to establish, you know, some minimum where they're doing some of the easy stuff, you know, whether it's doing a quarterly week check through their, leak check through their facility. So they'll walk through the facility and see, you know, if they have le any leaking faucets or water's coming out where it shouldn't be. So just some of the basic stuff that, you know, anyone could do and benefit from it. Uh, it just goes on to the energy side, uh, sourcing, so it's whether it's sourcing uh, packaging material or ingredients. Uh, the community side, so there's different things they can do to, you know, uh, involve themselves in the community and, and being a good uh, neighbor to their community. And then there's a section on maintenance, so if they're doing detailed maintenance uh, plans or they have a maintenance schedule on any of their equipment, you know, to improve efficiencies and reduce any, you know, pollution from an inefficient piece of equipment or if they're leaking oil, anything like that. So maintenance is very important to improve efficiencies. So the next step uh, for this program, because you know we just launched this summer, our, our big step, you know, our big push right now is to get additional members, get feedback from our members already to improve our program. So annually, we'll go back, recheck our checklist, check uh, the application process, work with current members to see how we can improve it. Um, in the future, we may make it more stringent on the checklist, but that has to be approved through our members because like I said, this is a program for the members, but we also see that it should evolve to where they can further improve their practices because, you know, as technology improves, you know, the standards that we have now, maybe everyone's doing it already. So we constantly have to evolve. Um, so like, and then an additional thing, you know, we're partnering with MTSU. So hopefully next year, we're going to be working with MTSU's fermentation science program, get some of those students as interns and get them on a production facility and show where they can improve sustainably speaking. So. Uh, our big push for MTSU is to show these students not only they'll become, you know, they'll be a well-versed brewer, distiller, but they also will have the added benefit to them as being uh, more sustainable. So they can actually go through a facility, look through it as a brewer or distiller, and also see where they can make improvements to improve, you know, whether it's utility costs, efficiencies, or um, just, you know, reducing pollution. So it's an added benefit to these students for them, and it's an added benefit to the, the facilities that are letting the interns come in and help them improve their practices. So the four pilot members we had was Jackalope, uh, Keg Springs Winery, Short Mountain Distillery, 
and life is brewing mantra. So mantra used to be in Franklin, now they all consolidated over in Murfreesboro called Hop Springs. Um, as a pilot, they did that whole setup where they submitted their application, their checklist, their utility data. They did the whole, the whole route, but the only thing different you know, with this is you know, we worked with them closely to get detailed feedback on how we can improve the program and what was an added benefit for them. Um, that was the most important part of this whole uh, pilot phase was to make sure this is something that's added value to them and an added value to the state. So some of the things we went over with uh, Jackalope, I know we already talked about it, but you know, they do some stuff with the grain. They have some pretty good uh, controls on their energy production side and the insulating a lot of their, their heat transfer uh, equipment. They do have detailed maintenance plan and now I think they have a full-time maintenance staff, so someone's always here working on it. Uh, Keg Springs Winery, they have uh, rooftop solar. They do some on-site composting with the stems and the, the seeds and the skins from grapes. Something unique to that was developing a recipe for composting because it has a pretty low pH in terms of normal composting practices. So we actually worked with some people in Division of Solid Waste at TDEC to, to formulate a recipe for something that has such a, a low pH. Um, you, they have a packaging reduction program, so they're not using as much packaging as they did when they first started. Short bound distilling, they do a lot of locally sourced ingredients for their products. They, you know, they have the low flow toilets, faucet aerators, they have a recycling program. Cool thing is they'll take back their bottles and turn them into candles if they can't reuse them. So they're, they're trying to you know, reduce that glass waste. Mantra. Uh, they had some uh, water use, water reuse practices. So we, it's where you know they're like we said with that heat transfer issue. You know they're they're taking that domestic water, it gets heated up. They could use that preheated water for their next batch, and they're not using that much energy to heat up that water. Um, during their cleaning practices, they can do a final rinse on a piece of equipment with clean water, and that that final rinse water could be used to in, do initial rinse on another piece of equipment. And you know, like they have a maintenance staff as well on site. Um, so this is where we're talking about that reuse. So you know, they'll have a pre-rinse cycle. So imagine these, this is one tank and it's going down a line. So they'll do the initial rinse, just get all the gunky stuff out of a, a fermentation tank. They'll do they'll have a cleaning cycle where they clean it out, and, and you know, they're 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 using some kind of chemical to clean the tank. They'll do a rinse, and then they'll have a disinfection, and then sometimes they'll have a final rinse. During that final rinse, that's where it can go back for a pre-rinse on another piece of equipment. Um, so another thing we're looking to do with MTSU is a value stream mapping program. So when you do a value stream map, you're actually looking at every single process. So you get a grain, you gotta get that grain to the silo. So how do you get that grain to the silo? You have to use some kind of a electric motor. So what size electric motor is that? How long is it running for? You know, that's where we're getting detailed information on the energy tax to get that grain from that truck into that silo. Then you, know, you go from the next step where you get the grain, you, you move it using another electric motor to a mill to mill that grain. So that's another electric motor milling that grain. So you have two motors. How long is it running for? What's the tax on it? You know, is it a variable frequency drive use running it? Is it just a standard motor? How efficient is that motor? And you just go all the way down the line. So you know, when you're actually mashing in, you, know, you got energy from gas heating up that batch. You know, you're using water in there and you're using some kind of motor to move it around. And so we go through the whole facility and we're gonna see what's going on energy, um, water, and you know, if there is waste, what kind of waste streams coming out of it, some byproducts. So that's where we can show them, you know, 
that's how much water you're using right there. That's how much water it costs, you know, if we have their utility data and, and cost structure. So that's, that's kind of the next step where we're going to actually just go through everyone's facilities and show them exactly where their highest energy taxes or water taxes on a particular process of the brewing or distilling or, or winemaking side. Um, that's kind of a big high-level overview of the program itself. Um, we have time for yeah. questions. Yeah. So, Yes, sir. The economic impact from the breweries, the distilleries, the wineries, how many billions of dollars is that for Tennessee? How many billions of dollars? I cannot tell you. I am not. Enough. We have an office. I was in the paper and they were had. I counted like over $2 billion of the three. You know, I just wondered. Just on the energy side or, or, or economic development? Oh, okay, yeah, it's a big impact, particularly, it's very huge, particularly, you know, we have a Tennessee whiskey, you know, it's, it's that particular whiskey can only be made in Tennessee, so it, it, it is a, a large market, and the thing is, what's unique for the spirits producing side is there's only like a couple big distilleries or breweries, you know, it's a lot of smaller facilities that, you know, your brewer is also the owner, the marketing director, the guy that pays the checks, you know, signs the checks. So a lot of these facilities don't have the time to actually look at the economics on their side and their impact, whether it is on the environment or on their, their bottom line. So what we're trying to do is step in there and help them move along those processes where they normally couldn't do it on a normal work day. But yes, it is a quite of a big impact for this state. Yes, sir. How difficult is it to involve Jack Daniels, George Dickel, Arrington Midyear? It's like a big name so so what 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 how difficult you're asking for is for a large facility to become a sustainable spirits member yeah like a yeah. yeah so for like a jack daniels or, or one of those large facilities they have sustainability coordinators they have energy managers but something very unique. So we, we work closely with the, the Kentucky, Kentucky Sustainable Spirits Program, similar to ours, and they have a sustainability summit. They don't have a membership program, but they have a sustainability summit. So we've had like Diageo come in and, and talk to them, and we were talking to one of their energy managers. They're like, this is great. I'm looking at the bills all day, but I can't do a value stream app. I can't look at every single process and see where their tax is. So it, it's a hard sell for some of these larger ones. You know, I've talked to a large distillery. I won't name them. But I had a conversation with five of their risk management people just to, just to consider becoming a member of this program. So it, it's a little bit difficult, but if you talk to the right people, they can sell it and they can show where it's going to be an added benefit on the, uh, the forward-facing side, on the marketing side, and how they can probably potentially save money. And, you know, it, it's in their best interest, you know, to, to do what they can other than just being compliant. So we are talking to some, some large distilleries and breweries as well. And uh, they should become members in the in the near future. Is there an opportunity? Is this an all or nothing, or is there an opportunity for uh, different tiers, different levels of? You should checklist. Yeah. Is that an all or nothing checklist. So you're you're saying if we can be, make this become like a tiered membership program, yeah. so it can be like maybe a gold or a silver. Right. Um, we are looking into several different opportunities to to make this whether it's a tiered membership program, or if it's a scoring system that also has a tiered membership. But initially, we're doing a simple checklist just so we can get buy-in. So the biggest problem, you know, it's a new program. It's TDEX, so now it's like, oh no, they're gonna be telling us what to do again. So, so it, it was a hard sell initially, 
but we are anticipating some form of change, whether it's a tiered system, a scoring system, added checks to a checklist, but it, it all, it's all dependent on our producers and what they want out of the program. We would never make it more laxed, but we will always try to make it where they can improve their, their sustainable practices. So we've had, with our uh, Green Star Partnership, we've had tiered systems before, and then we went back and talked to our, our producers, our large manufacturers, and we went back to just one system. So it, it's always evolving, and that's the way it should be. We don't want it to become stagnant. Yes? Is there any look at kind of further down the supply chain of where they're getting things, like where their hops are produced and the types of land use practices that are in those types of areas too? How, how far back are you guys? So, we, so on that side, we are... There's a check where they can do check off if they're locally sourcing ingredients and it's up to 500 miles. Mainly 500 miles because Tennessee isn't a great hop producer. So a lot of this, same thing on the winery side, they can only produce several varieties of wine in the state or they're importing grape juice or actual grapes from other states. So um, in terms of locally sourcing is, is where we stop at. And so it's up to them if it's, if it's being produced in a sustainable manner. So to prevent us from having to go that far in depth, that's where we get to the locally sourcing side. And that's the same for packaging materials as well. Yes, sir. Uh, you mentioned uh, communicating with Kentucky and, and what they're doing up there. Yes. Uh, and, and from, from like a national perspective, I guess, have you talked to any other states or how common is our, our programs like this? I'm thinking of yeah. Colorado or yeah. you know, California. Is, so you're talking about what other states are doing for maybe a sustainable spirits program? Right. There are several states. Uh, Iowa's doing one. Colorado's doing one. Kentucky. There's a couple of other states. Not I can't think of on the top. Vermont has one. Um, we were talking to some other states about maybe helping to develop a national version. It's early in the works. But most of the, uh, the guilds, so the Brewers Association is a big national organization. And they actually have a sustainability uh, mentor who does some very uh, forward-thinking ideas for breweries. They actually have a wastewater manual. They have an energy manual. They have one for waste. So they're, they're very progressive on the side of sustainability. And actually, first time I met him, I actually was at the Craft Brewers Conference. We had a meeting at Jackalope at the other facility. So they are open for ideas and always sharing ideas. I, I send them our checklist. Uh, we talk to them about what they have going around the bend because they actually offer additional sustainability products that current breweries that are members of the Brewers Association could use, and it can be an added benefit for our program. So we're always trying to, to, to expand it out to where we have something pretty level, but it all depends on what state, other states want to do. And we're always willing to talk. As a consumer, what can I do So I love people like you. So you, you're the consumer that wants to say, hey, what are you doing on the sustainable side as a producer? So uh, as a consumer, we're actually building out some more additional information on what you can do to look for sustainable practices um, in the state. Just give them my card. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but, you know, ask them what they're doing on the side. You know, what are they doing with their spent grain? What are they, how are they managing their water consumption? Just ask those questions. And if they're, and if you want, you know, Ask if they got that, that label right there. But um, a big thing, you know, is just talk to them. You know, a lot of them don't have the time. So just opening that conversation. I was in, uh, I forgot what county I was in, but I was in a county just north of Nashville talking to a brewer. And uh, 
he was like, you know, I was talking to him about my program and he has a small like two barrel system program. But I was, and I was like, hey, you should become a member. He's like, oh, I just started, you know, I'm brewing one batch at like a day and it's a two barrel. I have to do a double batch a day. And I'm funny story. He was saying I was doing a heat. I was cooling it down. I was taking that domestic water. And I was like, well, what are you doing with that domestic water when you cool it down? He's like, it just goes down the drain. I'm like, you can be done half the time if you just take that preheated water and do your next batch. He's like, oh man, I never thought about that. So just having those open conversations, just talk to them about it. And you know, you don't have to be an expert, but you can say there are experts in the state or there's the experts anywhere. You know, if you're a Brewers Association member, you have free access to experts. So that that's what I would suggest, but I mean, if you don't want to talk, man, just look for that label. <laughs> for smaller facilities that need to do some of the capital investments, like for example, adding that CO2 mm-hmm. uh, capture, are there monies available to? So you're asking if there's like grant funding for for, like for pollution prevention. Kind of um, as a state, we don't have any, but I'm always putting my ears to the rails to see if there's anything out there because I want to let them know, like, hey, if you're looking at this piece of equipment. EPA may have a grant. So we're looking. I haven't seen much out there, but, you know, it's always changing, whether it's EPA or another organization. But as of now, I haven't seen too much, but, it, you know, that can change next week. Hey, Mark, you mentioned during your presentation that you're looking to take some of these sustainable practices down to that non-commercial level, down to people that are brewing at home, that are making wine at home. Do you guys have a way to kind of quantify what the impact is? people have on the environment is because obviously you have you know 30 40 breweries in this area you have 30 or 40 facilities yeah. you have lots of wineries but you have thousands of home brewers and thousands of home winemakers that are probably not using sustainable practices mm-hmm. the way they go about doing that yeah do you have a way to kind of estimate what that impact is and determine how deeply you guys should dive into that yeah so you're discussing like the impacts of a home brewer on the environment or a winemaker or, you know, someone who's doing that. Um, everything that I do for these breweries and distilleries, you can scale it down. You can quantify it. If I don't have hard numbers, I can't say this is how much impact, you know, the state is. But if, if there is a Tennessee Home Brewers Association that's really established, we can get some numbers. But I can also provide the tools on our webpage, which is a good idea to show them, hey, if you can just crunch some of these numbers, one thing I would say about home brewers, though, they are some of the cheapest hobbyists you'll find. So they're doing anything they can to save money already. So that's the best part about working with home brewers. I think, I think maybe that's why I got into home brewing in the first place. I'm like, oh man, I could make cheap beer, and I'm not wasting as much, you know, gas and electricity. And so they're they're pretty efficient. And then when they scale up, that's when it's like, oh man, like how do I do this on an efficient side? But um, there is a way to quantify it. Um, Detailed numbers would be more difficult just because we don't know how many home brewers are in the state or winemakers, but we can also provide them a product where they can determine it themselves, which would be really cool. You get people to determine it. Because it's easy to say, you know, I used a half a bottle of propane to, to brew this batch of beer. You, you know the emissions from that. You know, there's emissions calculations for things like that. So it's possible. We are able to keep River Talks free thanks to the generosity of our supporters and sponsors. Your donations truly help us achieve our mission. We want to be sure to thank all of our individual supporters and, of course, our sponsors. 
If you would like to become a supporter of the River Talks, you can find the link in the show notes or visit cumberlandrivercompact.org. We hope you enjoyed hearing from this week's speaker. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you at our next River Talk in Nashville, Tennessee.